Hello and welcome back to the Second and Two podcast. I'm your host, TB. I got my co-host, producer extraordinaire, connoisseur of nice hats. My guy, Jody. What's up, Jeff? What's good? What's good? How, how you been? Good to be back. I'll tell you that for me. Facts. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm good. You know, school's out for the summer. So don't have a lot of worries right now. You know, this is the part of the year where everyone goes, oh, you're so lucky you're a teacher. (laughs) You get three months off. (laughs) Tell me, tell me that in October when you're talking about dealing with your kids and how you can't imagine how I do it every day. And it's like, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Those are your two (laughs) things when you're a teacher. That's the two things that you get. Either you're so lucky or I don't know how you do it. And it just depends on the time of year that you're in. So. (laughs) <laughs> um but <laughs> but uh yeah I'm 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 good ready to talk some football for sure. Yeah, let's see. Today we're going to be looking at the NFC East. What are you do you have any thoughts before we get into the breakdown of each team of Oh yeah, you know over? you know I got some good stuff for you right now. Yeah, man. So looking at some interesting tidbits in the division. They've had three different division winners each of the last three years. In 2020, at the time, they were called the Washington football team, but the Commanders <laughs> won it. In 2021, the Cowboys won it. And then this last year in 2022, the Eagles won it. Um, and the last time the Giants won it was 2011 when they went to the Super Bowl and lost the Patriots. But this division has not had someone win it two consecutive years in a row since the Eagles won it from 01 to 04. So it it changes hands every year since 2004. Um, So if that tells you anything, it tells you the Eagles are not winning the division again this year. So anyone who's like, (laughs) you know, thinking about, Oh, who should, who might win the division and feeling like the Eagles are a safe bet. As much as I like the Eagles, maybe they aren't. And we'll look at that today and talk about kind of what happened with the Eagles roster and what we, how we each see it. But Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I think uh, that's an interesting tidbit. Also, something I, I noticed, this division is one of the only divisions in the NFL that's had every team in it win a Super Bowl since 1991. The Commanders <laughs> won it in 91. The Cowboys well, I don't think won the it. Commanders won, I'll tell you that. Well, we're, <laughs> we're staying away from that, from the old team name. Uh, the Cowboys won it in 95. The Giants won it in 11, and the Eagles won it in 2017. And I said earlier, when the last time the division, the, the oh. Giants won the division in 2011 was when they lost the Super Bowl to the Patriots, but they actually beat the Patriots. I was uh, messed that up. I'm sure a lot of Patriots fans would easily correct me. The Giants beat them twice, 07 and 11. Um, but, yeah, that was the last Giants Super Bowl win, and then obviously the Eagles also beating the Patriots. The NFC yeah. East sort of owns the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Just mm. or was that Tom they, Brady? I mean, yeah, it will. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, all four teams have won it since '91, so that's interesting. Um, in each, in four of the last seven years, the division has had at least two playoff teams, including the last two seasons. Um, also, something interesting I noticed: their wild card teams have gone six and six in that road wild card game since 2005, and every team in the division has won a road game as a wild card at least wow. once. 
since 05. So they're really good as a, as a wild card entrant. You know, I mean, it kind of yeah. makes sense. You think about some of the runs that each of these teams have made as a wild card. And it, I mean, especially the Giants, they were kind of famous for that with Eli. The Eagles have had a couple runs like that. The Cowboys have done it once or twice. So each of these teams has been good, has been dangerous as a wild card. So just keep that in mind this year. I mean, even the Giants last year won a road game as a wild card. So um, something to keep in mind when we get to the playoffs and start thinking about these teams. And yeah, that that was it for the division as a whole. I mean, as I said, they, it seems to be a new team wins it every year since '04. So we um, I don't give anything away in terms of who we might you know predict will win this division, but might be something for you and I to think about before we do our <laughs> official official preseason predictions in in September. Just the just the thing to keep on your mind when you go to do that. Yeah, no, um, I mean I will say. I don't know if we'll be seeing anyone new anytime soon, but that's just a wild prediction going forward. Ooh, ooh! Jody says he really likes the Eagles. <laughs> yeah, that's that's for sure. Especially, I mean, they paid my guy. I mean, that's jumping ahead a couple teams, but they gave they gave the guy some money. True, they did, but. We'll get to the Eagles. I think we're starting with the Giants. Yeah, so the Giants last year they went nine and seven. They finished third overall in the division, which also let them get into the playoffs and they lost that first round. The they lost in the divisional round. Divisional, my bad. Second yeah, yeah. Round. Yeah, I should have known that. They yeah. Oh well. They beat the uh they beat the Vikings in the wild card and they got yep. rashed by the, <laughs> by the Eagles. But um they had some key losses in the offseason. They lost safety Julian Love. They lost their center, Nick Gates, who actually went to uh, another team in the division. Um, receiver Kenny Galladay, a guy who they were paying a lot but did not give them a lot of production. Yeah, so some tough. may look at that as more of a like a positive loss, I guess, <laughs> by subtraction. But just in terms of what they were paying him and, this, the, and the, the output they got from him. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then also Landon Collins is is also gone. So the safety spot is going to look really different <clears> for them this year. Um, they made some key additions, though. Bringing in uh, Darren Waller, trading for Darren Waller was a big deal. They brought in um, Bobby Okariki. Um, they signed Sean Robinson, and they also signed Paris Campbell. Could be some interesting additions of, you know, three guys who figure to, um, or at least three guys who will figure to start for them and, Maybe even four right there between all four of those guys could be could be starters this year. Um, in the draft, they added cornerback Deontay Banks, um, a, a new center in the second round, John Michael Schmitz, and then also a receiver, Jalen Hyatt. So three pretty good picks. I think widely considered all three guys could will start for them and be significant contributors. Yeah, I don't know much about the first two, the corner and Deontay Banks or the center, but I know Jalen Hyatt was at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that works out. I mean, they definitely need receivers. Oh, I'll tell you, uh, John Michael Schmitz was my favorite center in the draft. I know we didn't actually end up doing it um, interior yeah, offensive line. I mean, this was a, a tough off interior <laughs> offensive line draft, to be quite frank. That's part of why we uh, we chose not to do that. But I actually really did like him um, of all of the guys who were in – interior offensive line this draft uh-huh. i think he was probably the 
probably the best one. So that's that's yeah. a definite positive for them. Yeah. Let's see the the coaching staff and manager they got here in the New York, I guess if you want to call it that. They got the general manager being Joe was a shown. Mm-hmm. Okay. Joe Schoen, let's see, their head coach is Brian Dable, or Dabble, as people like to call him. Well, former coach of the year, right? That's who that is? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, put some respect on his name. Let's yeah. See, their offensive coordinator, Mike Kafka. Kafka. Yep. Uh, you know, this, this is a tough, a tough coaching staff to pronounce. People <laughs> looking at it for the first time. And uh, let's see, their defensive coordinator, they got Don Martindale. Don, bro. Yeah. Why can't they all be so Don, simple like that one? <laughs> Don, Don Wink Martindale, my guy. Yeah, my guy who loves to bring pressure but then didn't against the Vikings <laughs> and just totally switched it up on him in the playoff game. I loved that. Um, if you look across their their offense um, in terms of their projected starters, the, uh, the young kid, John Michael Schmitz, um, figures to come in and start right away at center. At left guard, they have Ben Bredesen. Uh, left tackle, Andrew Thomas, who's been there for a little bit, done a, done a really good job for them. The right guard spot, they got a couple guys. It looks like Mark Lewinsky will probably start, but Shane Lemieux is another guy who um, gives them a little bit of depth. And then at right tackle, Evan Neal. Um, the skill position is a spot that it was clear the Giants figured they needed to upgrade in the offseason. They added Hyatt in the draft, Campbell in free agency, traded for Waller. Um, they bring back Slayton, the, mm-hmm. the guy who was actually their probably their best receiver last year. So they definitely have more depth this year um, at that X receiver spot. They have Jalen Hyatt, and then they also bring back Isaiah Hodgins, who developed some chemistry with Daniel Jones. Um, at the tight end, Darren Waller and Daniel Bellinger. At the slot, Paris Campbell, and then the guy they drafted last year, Wandale Robinson, who was not bad, could do some stuff for him. And then at the Z spot, Darius Slayton. And then they still also have Sterling Shepard, who is like the last remains of the uh, the the yacht picture squad. From, <laughs> was that 2016? When OBJ was there? Yeah, man. He, I think that was uh, Sterling Shepard's rookie year. So it's crazy he's been on that team for like seven years now. But he's been hurt for a lot of the, the last few years. And so uh-huh. if he can come back healthy, that gives him some decent depth at the receiver spot. Um, at quarterback, you know, they signed Daniel Jones to the pretty big contract this offseason and then not talked about a lot, but they brought in an experienced veteran who knows Brian Dayball's system, and that is Tyrod Taylor. Yes, it's Tyrod, oh. not Tyrod. He's very uh, specific about that. Tyrod Taylor okay. um, to be his backup, who I think he can do a lot of stuff for uh, Brian Dayball if if needed, yeah. if anything ever happened to Daniel Jones. Then... Um, Saquon Barkley and Matt Breda at the at the running back spots, assuming Barkley um, signs his free agent or his um, franchise tender and, and shows yeah. up and all that good stuff. We'll see if they can get a deal worked out with him before the season. I, th- I know they want to, but um, we'll probably be say, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I was about to ask that same question. <laughs> I think the assumption is he'll play regardless, but he's, he's not just going to hold out till season he's, starts or something. He's, yeah, he's going to try and go through a good chunk of training camp without showing it seems like. So we'll see um, if he shows up at the beginning of camp or if he kind of waits, shows up in the middle of camp. I'm not sure what he'll do. Um, At the edge spots on defense, at the edge spots, they got Aziz Ojolari and Kayvon Thibodeau, guys who were both pretty good for them last year. Also have uh, Jihad Ward as a a backup, um, giving them some depth up front. 
in the interior defensive line, they have Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, and Ashawn Robinson. Um, I really like those three interior D linemen, all the guys who are all big and physical, give them a lot up front. Um, in the linebacker spots, they signed uh, Bobby Okariki um, to play that Will linebacker next to Gerard Davis. Figured to be a pretty good combo of, of linebackers there. And then in the um, nickel corner, they have Darnay Holmes. Secondary should look kind of different for the Giants this year. Um, I do like Deontay Banks and Adoree Jackson as the corners. Also at safety, um, Xavier, McKinney, uh, Xavier McKinney is coming back for him this year, figures to play a much bigger role. And then um, they've got a little bit of an interesting position battle at the free safety spot with Jason Pinnock and Bobby McCain um, battling for that that last starting spot on defense. I assume it's going to be Pinnock, but we'll see. We'll see what happens with them. Yeah, I got a quick question. It might be a dumb one. But what no, would no, be no. the difference between the mic and Will? Is it just right and left, strong side, weak side? How do you? Well, how would you describe that? Um, every defense functions differently. I mean, old school defenses, you had the Mike Will and the Sam. And some defenses still play that way. I generally, you see so much more nickel stuff that you'll notice. I always, defenses are all structured differently. But at the end of the day, you can kind of, you can kind of boil them down to what I've done with these depth charts, which is like you're going to have two edge players. Uh-huh. You're going to have probably two interior players. You're going to have a Will and a Mike, and then you're probably going to have five DBs. That's generally just how it goes nowadays. Yeah. They're still like true odd fronts, and they'll play with more like three interior guys, two edges, and maybe two real backers, that kind of thing. But Really, the biggest difference. So, like the difference in the will and the mic, one depends on the structure of your defense, but two, in general, your will is more like your weak side linebacker, which is why he's called you know called the will, yeah. and the mic is that middle linebacker, um, which, which is why he's called the mic. You know, again, the mic and will nowadays, they, it again, your defenses are all structured differently, so. It's, doesn't always work like that for every single defense, but traditionally that's kind of how it works. So, um, yeah, that makes sense. I've always wondered why, because like obviously the M makes a lot of sense for the middle, right? Mm-hmm. And then, but like you said, you brought up the same. I was like, yeah. I mean, now that I think Sam, about it, each first letter, side. yeah. But if you just if you're just throwing them out, I was always just like, what's the difference? Like, yeah. Like I, I feel like we always hear the quarterback going like, "Oh, fifty four is the mic or whatever." But like, yeah, well, and, outside and, of that, like, I, they don't ever really call anything else, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what they're doing is functionally different. Like nowadays, your mic probably plays in more space. It used to be like your Sam was the one who was going to play in more space. Now it's more or less your mic, the way football's played, and your will again, generally is going to end up being in that boundary. And so he plays with less field. He doesn't have to play in as much space. Uh-huh. But, you know, I mean, they're, they, all, they all play on islands now, the way yeah, offenses run. That's, that's, why, that's why so many teams play with that fifth DB, that nickel guy, as opposed uh-huh. to a third true linebacker. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's like slight differences. Um, mostly they're similar is what I would gotcha. say. All right, well, I hope y'all learned something because, you know, I yeah. did. But uh, let's look at their <laughs> schedule going ahead. So week one, playing Sunday night against the Cowboys. So right off the bat, they got that divisional game. 
Then they travel for a couple of weeks. They got the Cardinals and then the Niners on a Thursday game, week three. And that'll be interesting. That'll be tough for them, especially in, in the Bay. Then week four, then they got another primetime game. They're playing the Seahawks at home. On the road again for a couple games, first the Dolphins and then the Bills. So a couple AFC uh, East teams right there. And that Bills one's going to be on a Sunday night, week six. Let's see, they got couple home games here they got the commanders at home and then oh, the divisional the game right there and then they got the jets as well so seven and eight they're at home then they're on the road for three weeks they got the raiders week nine couple more uh divisional games on the road they got the cowboys and then the commanders that's tough three weeks in a row on a road and then they go back home and play the patriots patriots gonna be coming off a bye right there mm-hmm. in week 12 and then that leads to their uh, by week, week 13. Kind of tough. That's a little late, but I guess better late than never, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, let's see. Week 14, they got a Monday night game versus the Packers. That could be fun. Maybe Jordan Love figures on them out by then. Could be a good game. Let's see. Week 15, they got the Saints on the road. And then they travel again versus the Eagles on a Monday night game. I guess that's Christmas. That That's what yeah. that means? Yeah. There you go. Christmas Day games. And then they, they finish at home the last two weeks. They got the Rams and then the Eagles. Yeah, the uh, I would say in general, the Giants have a one of the tougher schedules we've looked at so far. A couple reasons being, one, they have to play two teams coming off buys, and both those teams Oh, I didn't even realize are, the Jets right there. Yeah, both those teams are either, you know, I think both teams are, are actually really well coached and also... Uh-huh have sufficient talent to like make those bye weeks count that that's tough on them they also play nine road games in the first 16 weeks that's that's brutal that's super brutal i mean you see they have a stretch of three straight road games they have a stretch of four and five weeks um which if you're playing four road games in five weeks that one week at home it's yeah it's like it's like I'm on the road, then I'm on the road, then I'm on the road just going back home, then I'm yeah. back out on the road, on the road, right? I mean, that's a brutal stretch right there for them. Um, and then, again, after that, then you still get the two teams coming off buys, right? Yeah. You have two teams coming off buys sandwiched in outside between three straight road games. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, they're realistically going to be limping into the bye week, I would, I would assume. That's a brutal stretch. And then having to play the Eagles two out of their last three games, I think is rough too. Um, they have a lot of primetime solo games, right? They have five yeah. true primetime games plus the Christmas Day game. Um, so the Giants' schedule is really hard, dude. Really hard. Like I had a tough time picking out the tough stretch uh-huh. just because I just think there's so much going on. There's so much going on. But I think if I had to pick out and isolate one, it's weeks two through six. I mean, just yeah. right out of the I gate. Agree. They got to play at the Cardinals, at the Niners, versus the Seahawks, at the Dolphins, at the Bills. Again, four road games in five weeks is is why I picked that. And even if you want to add week one against the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football, then even still yeah. four road games in six weeks against what figure to be at least five really good opponents. You know, the one team in there in that group that may not be as good this year are the Cardinals. But I wouldn't anticipate and expect the Cowboys, 49ers, Seahawks, Dolphins, and Bills to all be – if not fringe playoff teams, 
legitimate playoff teams. All what? of those teams were playoff teams the year before. Okay, that's what I was about to say. And so it that's a really it's a really tough stretch. Um I can honestly see them going like one and four. Or really, I guess I should say one and five, two and four in the first six weeks of the season. You yeah. know, I mean they could they could get off to a really, really tough start here. Um now the good news for them is, you know, I do think they're those couple games against the commanders are very winnable. We'll see what the Packers look like with Jordan Love. Um, you know, we'll very interested to see what the Rams look like this year. Um, getting Matthew Stafford back, but losing a lot on defense. You know, the Raiders could be a very winnable game for them, um, despite it being on the road. So we'll see. There's there are some games in there that you figure they they should be able to pick up, and it's not like they were a bad team last year. They were a team that made it to the second round of the playoffs, so they're a good team. So I think if I were to point out the stretch that I like that's most favorable to them, probably weeks eleven through fifteen, they get to go at the Commanders. They do get that Patriots team coming off a bye, but I told you I thought the Patriots are about an eight, nine, you know, kind of semi five hundred football team. So even though they're coming off the bye, it's a team that I think the Giants have a, a good shot at being able to beat. Again, you get the bye week, then you get to play the Packers on Monday Night Football. I think that's a great spot for the Giants. You get them at home. And then at the Saints, again, another, um, you know, tough opponent on the road. But I think having had the bye week and the home game the week before, all that good stuff, um, I think they, they still have a reasonably good shot at winning that game. So that's probably that, that week, that stretch weeks 11 through 15, where I feel like they have a good shot at winning all four of those games. Um, but this is a tough schedule. I mean, yeah, I um, agree with that. They play two teams, you know, like I said, they have to play two teams coming off the buys. They, they have the AFC East, which is a good division. They have the NFC West, which is a good division. And then their own division is very difficult as well. I mean, when you put that all together, it's just they just have a brutal schedule. I just, there's no other bones about it. It's tough. Yeah. So, uh, what do you think they end up going after this hard schedule of a year? Well,. I think there's going to be last year. They were one of the best teams in football at winning those one score games. Um, And we just generally see regression to the mean when that happens. Um, They were a nine, seven and one football team. I don't think that was fake. I don't think the playoff one was fake. I think they have a formula that works for them offensively um, uh with Brian Dayball. I think he really has figured some stuff out with Daniel Jones. They given him more weapons this year. They're better up front. I love Saquon. So I think offensively, they should be just as good, you know, maybe better. Defensively, I think um, maybe a little bit worse. I don't know that I think they upgraded defensively the way that they did offensively. Um, Uh Some of their losses in the secondary are tough. But I also just think there's a natural regression to the mean. I think they play a much harder schedule this year. And I think in general, they're right around that 500. So I I think I ended up going, uh, yeah, I went 8-9. and with them um, simply because the schedule is just so brutal. Yeah. And, and I do wonder if there's a little bit of, despite having more weapons around him, how, how good Daniel Jones will be again, second year in the system. I am curious to see what, what that looks like. Yeah, no, I feel that I went, I had them, I guess, technically improving. They, they get rid of that law or the, the tie call. I went them going 10 and seven. I mean, like you said, at the end of the day, the division's tough within itself. The other divisions they're playing are kind of hard as well. And 
I mean, I see them probably splitting maybe most of the games in their division. You know, maybe they go four and four there. And then we got the Raiders. Did I don't know if you've seen, but Jimmy G might not even make the team, I yeah, guess. There's, he's a, not. there's a lot going on with that Raiders yeah. football team right now. It's not good. So, so I mean, we could probably count that one as a win right there, right? Get them to five. Let's see. Who else? The Cardinals, six. Uh, Rams, possibly, depending how they're doing at, at week 17. That's seven. Three more. I mean, we could probably say the Saints, maybe. Who knows? Maybe Derek Carr is firing, and he's doing well. So that could be a tough one. I'd probably include the Patriots. You know, I don't know. And then they, they, uh, we'll give them both the Commanders wins, and that, that gets them to 10. You know what I mean? So I, I see them, I, I don't know if you would call it improving or just winning a game that, that wasn't technically ended. I don't know. But that's yeah. how I see them doing this year. Yeah, see, yeah. I had they, a, that would be, uh, yeah, that'd be improvement, definitely. Let's see. I had a question for you about the team. Do you think Daniel Jones could either continue how well he played last year or improve on that? Or do you think that was just like a fluke in a sense and that was just one time? Well, I'll start by saying this. I do think what he's getting paid is outrageous considering the production. (laughs) However, it is just the way that the quarterback market works, and I understand why the Giants did it, and I don't necessarily think they're wrong. It's it's a weird it's a weird thing. I could sit here and tell you that it's outrageous, but I also don't know if they're wrong. Uh-huh. That, you know, I, I can't I don't know how else to put it. I don't know that I would say he's a one hit wonder, but I also don't know that you're winning a Super Bowl with this guy. I mean that's and that's Ooh. it's hard to say like hey we're going to pay this guy 40 million dollars but we don't feel like we can win a Super Bowl with him. I'm sure in the building yeah. they don't they, they would look at me and be like you don't know him you're not in the building every day you're an idiot which yeah, is yeah. totally fair. <laughs> right? We're not paying him 40 million without thinking that we could win a Super Bowl with him of course, right? They, they, I mean you know so I'm sure they think they can if they put the right team around him and I do think they took steps in the right direction in doing that with yeah. the skill players they added. So I think there's a, a natural tendency and sense to be like, well, the team around him is better. He should be better, right? Um, mm-hmm. Last year, he completed 67% of his passes. Um, he threw for 3,205 yards, 15 touchdowns, five interceptions. He had 120 rushing, yard, uh, 120 rushing attempts for 708 yards, seven touchdowns. Everything I just named for you was a career high except uh-huh. for the passing touchdowns. His rookie year threw 24 touchdowns. Other than that, everything else was a career high. So clearly Brian Dable got the best out of him. Yeah. Um, and I kind of went back and watched some of the film from this last year and tried to figure out, like, what was it that they did, either A, that Daniel Jones has got better at, or B, that Brian Dable brought that made Daniel Jones better, right, compared to what he had done in uh-huh. the previous couple years. One thing that I would say is you'll see a similar effect with what I talked about with Mac Jones last week, right? Which is that the, what the structure of the coaching staff around Daniel Jones the last couple of years was not yeah. fantastic. And I think when you just bring in competency and consistency and confidence from your staff, 
um, in terms of philosophy and what you're going to do offensively, there's just a, 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 a market difference, right? Yeah. And yeah. that's what Brian Dable was able to bring. And I think that's why you saw the best of Daniel Jones come out this year. So um, we'll look at some clips from a couple different games this year. Number one, this was week three, I think, against the Jaguars. Um, it was early in the season. I can't remember exactly what week, but it was early in the season, right? Uh-huh. So you'll see... If you look at the Jags defense, they're given kind of a bluff pressure look. They're going to end up dropping out and only bring in four. Now, they're showing you two high safeties, but what they're going to do is buzz this safety down and end up playing one high. Pre-snap, Daniel Jones is looking, and he can see this safety is on the hash. He's not out here. It's a lot harder for him to play out to that receiver when he's this tight inside. He also sees this safety is walking down pre-snap so you can start to see what they're going to do right boom so they're going to play four under three deep right you have a thirds player a thirds player the middle of the field player and then one two three four underneath players right so now they're playing four under a version of four under three deep daniel jones goes through his progressions he knows by the time he gets through it that he's got one-on-one up top and he finds that matchup and lets it go. Look where he, look where he's letting the ball go. Yeah. Right. His receiver now, that's open. That's NFL open, right? Yeah. He's got a step on him. If I lead him, he should win that foot race, right? Uh-huh. And he could have really thrown it either either way because he's got <laughs> yeah. it down here too, <laughs> right? But he throws it up top, one-on-one, trusts his receiver, puts it out there for him. Guy goes and makes a play, touchdown, right? That was uh, Slayton, by the way. Okay. So this this is the kind of stuff that Daniel Jones did last year that he was not doing in the previous couple of years. Right? Going through a progression, you saw it from this angle, the way that he looks the safety middle of the he understands he's gonna get from two high to one. He's gonna look that middle of the field safety off and then get to the throw that he wants where he knows he has one on one, right? So he uh-huh. did a great job on that. Now the next thing that you see. This is some stuff that we saw more last year than we ever seen from him. They're going to bring six, right, and play man coverage behind it. Well, Daniel Jones feels that, sees it's man coverage, and just says, okay, I can escape. I can use my legs. Yeah. I'm just going to get out of the pocket. I'm going to go get a first down. Great play. I mean, it's like the extra stuff that he started doing. And I think, again, that was confidence. That was a confidence thing. He had the confidence uh-huh. within the offense to go do that. Because other things were working, right? And so then it snowballs. Now he's confident enough in himself to go do these things. Breaking arm tackles from defenders, you know? Looking Mm -hmm. like discount Josh Allen out there. (laughs) Which is not a slight, by the way. I know everyone's maybe going to think that way. Josh Allen, you said it was funny, though. Top five QB in the league, all right? You know, Daniel Jones, he's not quite there. Now, he's a good player. I do like him. But he's not quite there. So, then this next one, right... This is where now, when you start seeing offensive coordinators do stuff like this deeper into a game, or not just OCs, but play callers, right? You know they have such a good feel for the quarterback and what their team is doing, right? This is where it's just like, oh, this guy's having fun now. Watch this. Pulls out the zone read and lets his quarterback go go keep it and go get 10 yards, right? That's, That's when you know. That's that, a that, nice that, looking that, slide right there. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, we can, Dan Jones can work on that. But like, you can tell, look at this. 
Yeah, yeah. He holds that look. thing in there just enough for this guy to start chasing down the line. Oh, I'm out the back door. That's when you know Daniel Jones and, and Brian Dable are having a good time, right? Yeah. So, again, those are three plays from, from the Jaguars game. Here's three more clips from uh, the Ravens game. This is another game later in the year. Now it's, again, he's identifying pre-snap. Look at all the defenders near the line of scrimmage. Yeah. This is just going to be man-free. They're going to play one high safety. They're going to play man across the board with everyone else, right? He knows he's got something perfect dialed up, all kinds of crossing patterns, right? <laughs> You'll see all this action in the middle of the field and all these guys trying not to get picked. Look at this guy trying not to get picked. Oh, he actually picks his own guy. But Daniel Jones, look, he's ripping it right now. He knows. He sees his guy coming free and letting it go with anticipation, putting it right on the money. And that's a 15-yard gain, right? Again, see it from this side. This is where you can really see the anticipation going through the progression. I'm looking. I see the middle of the field safety. I'm looking here, seeing it, getting across the middle of the field. I let it go. Great job. I believe that's uh, Isaiah Hodgins, another guy he developed some pretty good chemistry with last year. Here's another play in that Ravens game. Uh, I believe this is a play or two later. Again, getting through his progression, being confident, understanding he's got zone coverage. He's got to make this layered throw over the backer but underneath the DB to put it in that window. And he's got a secondary defender over here, so he can't lead him too far. He's got to put it right on that hash over the linebacker under the DB. Boom. Where does he put it? Right on that hash over the linebacker under the DB. Fantastic throw. Again, you see it from this angle. Just so you can kind of see what he sees. Right, they show kind of a bluff pressure look. They bring it, but then they drop. They drop a couple guys and then bring a couple other guys, right? Now, here's the other thing. He knows. This is a, this is a D lineman yeah. dropping into coverage right here. <laughs> the way they ran that pressure, which is sick, by the way, from the Ravens. That's fun if you can do stuff like that. Because this D lineman actually gets great depth. You'd think he was a linebacker, right? You know, I wouldn't have known unless the number. But you see yeah, how he just he finds the hole. Too. He finds the hole in the zone and puts it where like in between one, two, and three, right? Yeah. Where only his guy can go get it. That's a that's a great throw. Those are the kind of throws he was just not making. And then here's another one: cap off a touchdown drive, right? Play action, come out the back door. I'm gonna take the hit. I'm gonna put it right on my guy again, and I'm gonna stop him. This is where you know you're really doing something. When you can make throws against the zone where you stop your player, right? If he leads him too far, look who's sitting over here. Yeah. Marlon Humphrey, who's a fantastic defensive player, gets a lot of picks, right? Yeah. You feel the guy running at him. He feels his guy running free from the defender behind him. So you want to lead him away from that defender, but you don't want to throw him into the next defender so he gets blown up or you throw a pick, right? So I know I've got a 250-pound man charging at me. And I've got to put this ball where I kind of stop my guy's momentum. So you almost throw it behind him kind of on purpose to get him to stop. So he does that. Yeah. And that's a touchdown. Again, those are the kinds of plays that when you're playing really well, you're making those throws. And when you're not, you know, those are, those are interceptions. So very different year from, from DJ last year compared to his first three years in the league. I do think there's uh, it's interesting that, you know, the Giants, they declined his fifth-year option for the season last year. He has this year with, with Dayball, and then they signed him to the $40 million contract. So he has to be good. I mean, and I'm talking like he has to be better than he was last season. 
yeah. to make that contract stand up. And I, from a talent perspective, I don't know if that exists for him. I'm not saying last year was necessarily a ceiling, but uh, I, you know, I think he had a really good year. So um, I don't know that he'll be that much better. And now the, the one question mark is just how much will that different talent around him affect that? And how much more in the tank does Brian Dable have? So we'll see. Um, obviously, I think that's a critical question in terms of if they can be better this year or if they're going to be right around that 500 mark again. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, I mean, well, I mean, you could talk me into anything when you show me what you show me. You know what I mean, but yeah, the way I see it, it's like, uh, I think it, it truly comes down to how well they're able to get Saquon going if he's there or yep. whatever that case may be. Because I think he's Saquon's the main a star of the show. Honest. Yeah. Yes. But it's they just a matter of them. Him. Yeah, exactly. They got to take care of him. And I know no one likes playing running back, paying running back. <laughs> but, um, they got to take care of Saquon. That guy's got to be there for Daniel Jones to be the best Daniel Jones he can be. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Let's see. Looking ahead, the next team in the division we're taking a peek at is going to be the Commanders. The Washington, whatever team you want to call them, they they went eight and eight last year. They finished last in the division. <laughs> it would meaning they missed the playoffs. <laughs> key losses number one. This may not be a key loss, depending on who you are. Daniel Snyder selling the team. Just putting that out there. They'll have new ownership. <laughs> yeah, you threw, threw me for a loop. I was like, I don't yeah. see that guy's name on the list. Yeah, 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 yeah. New yeah, ownership. Yeah, true, He'll be selling true. the team. It's not quite all the way through and approved and everything like that, but we'll see what new ownership looks like. I know Washington yeah. fans are excited, but um, this is also the owner of the Sixers. So, mm-hmm. and we've seen kind of how their process has gone. Fall short every year. Yeah. So, certainly it's going to be better than ownership under True. Daniel Snyder. He was arguably like one of the worst owners in professional sports. So I'm sure this will be better. And I'm, I've seen every Washington commander fan I know is excited. Yep. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But in terms of on the field, the on-field product, they lost Taylor Heineke, um, who was their starting quarterback for a good chunk of the year. Mm-hmm. They lost linebacker Cole Holcomb. They lost their other quarterback for the majority of the year, Carson Wentz. So they lost the two guys who kind of each started basically half the year for them. Um, And then they lost some production from the running back room and uh, J.D. McKissick. They added Andrew Wiley, who certainly is a big addition at at the right tackle spot. They also added quarterback Jacoby Brissett to be their backup quarterback. Um, Center Nick Gates from those, those New York Giants and then linebacker Cody Barton. Um, in the draft, they drafted Emmanuel Forbes, who I thought was a little high for him, but I do like him. He should lock down one of the starting corner spots for them. They drafted safety Jartavius Martin, and then center Ricky Stromberg. So we'll see um, if those additions can t- can pay off for them. I was not as big a fan of their draft as some of the other teams, especially in their division. So. Um. Like I said, I probably I don't know much about either of those dudes, especially in the defensive area. But I mean, that is an, an area I talked about when we were doing our review that they always seem to have some good players back there, you know. So mm-hmm. I'm sure one of those will pan out for them. Let's see. In the management, they got their general manager being Martin Mayhew. I mean, we're having 
the the NFC East has some some wild names out there, huh? Martin Mayhew been in the game a long time. Has only been their GM for like the last I think it's year three for him or year two maybe. But um, been in the been in the in the game a long time. Like mad respect to Martin Mayhew, good dude. Let's see their head coach. We got Ron Rivera. Uh, let's see their uh, offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. Yeah, I mean he just got there from uh, what's it Kansas City, I guess. Mm-hmm. Let's see their D coordinator is going to be Jack Del Rio. Yep. Yeah, Rivera maintains uh, some continuity in the staff, and then adds Bieniemy to run the offense for him. Should be interesting. Mm-hmm. Really do hope Bieniemy has some success with them this year. We'll see. We'll see how that pans out. Um, sure. Looking at their projected starters up front, uh, I'll just say it now. I Their offensive line is kind of a tough group. Not a big fan of everything they've got going on up front. They added <laughs> some in free agency with Nick Gates and Andrew Wiley, which does help. But just left to right, at left tackle, they got Charles Leno Jr., left guard Andrew Norwell, center Nick Gates, right guard Sam Cosme, and right tackle Andrew Wiley. Um, the thing that I'm most nervous for this Washington front line that I don't—they don't have a lot of depth. If any of these guys get hurt, they're really in trouble. Uh, uh-huh. That would just be my first glance opinion. And injuries on the offensive line happen, so it's very uh-huh. unlikely they're going to make it through the whole year without one of these guys getting hurt. And they don't have a lot of depth that makes me feel good about them being able to w- withstand any kind of injury up front. So that's one thing that's unnerving. The skill positions, <clears throat> they got Terry McLaurin, one of the best receivers in football. Logan Thomas at tight end. Curtis Samuel at the slot. Jahan Dotson, and then also Diami Brown outside at the Z. Quarterback Sam Howell, and then Jacoby Brissett uh, mentoring him. And then at running back, Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson. Um, again, similar to like what they've got going up front. I think <clears throat> the skill positions, they have some really dynamic players like McLaurin and Curtis Samuel, Jahan Dotson. I like those guys. Yeah. Um, but again, I, they don't have a lot of depth. Logan Thomas is hurt very often. Who's going to be playing tight end when Logan Thomas gets hurt? You know what I mean? It's things like yeah. that that make me nervous. Um, I like the, the, tri- the duo of Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson. I do like that running back room. Sam mm-hmm. Howell, very, very much an unknown. Yep. At the quarterback position, he sure. got to play that one game last year, um, and then obviously Brissett is a is a wouldn't say proven veteran, but the guy has been competent when he's gotten starts. You know what I mean? So yeah, they at least have that there. Defensively, the Commanders boast like one of the best groups up front in terms of their starting four: Montez Sweat. Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, Chase Young, all four first-round picks, all four studs. Now, the problem is, again, the depth the outside of those four guys, they don't have a lot of rotational D linemen that I feel good about, like that I'm not feeling like there's a drop-off when those guys are not on the field, which is a, which is a problem. At linebacker, they have Jamon Davis, Cody Barton, and then they also have Kaliki Hudson and David Mayo. They do have linebacker depth. I do like their their quad group of, of linebackers. At the corner um, slot corner, I've got uh, Jartavius Martin. Then at the corner spots, um, Emmanuel Forbes and Kendall Fuller should be the starters. I like that duo a lot. 
and then Benjamin St. Just and Cam Dantzler as their backups. Um, again, also like those guys. So I actually like their corner, their corner room. And then at safety, Cameron Curl, and at the at the free, Derek Forrest, and then also um, the kid that they drafted, uh, Jartavius Martin, or um, I think Jartavius Martin will actually play in the slot more for them, but could fill a role at safety when needed. So um, their secondary is is pretty good. There's a little more depth there too. Same thing in the linebacker room up front. Very talented, really good, just not as much depth in. Uh-huh. In totality, this Commanders team feels like it lacks depth across the board, um, which could be a real problem down the road. But um, they do have some some big names, some big name talent, especially on that D line. So, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, Chase Young. I'm glad to. I'm, I shouldn't say I'm glad to see him back. I sh- I'm gonna look forward to watching him play because he was a, definitely a key guy a couple years back before he got injured. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, so looking at their schedule this year, they start off against the Cardinals at home, and then they play the boys in Denver in Mile High, week two at in uh they're playing the Broncos week two, sorry, uh, week three they're playing the Bills at home, uh, that's gonna be tough. Week four, the Eagles on the road, first divisional game of their uh, schedule, that's gonna be tough. Let's see, they got the Bears on a Thursday night game, so they only got two primetime games looking at it now one of them both on thursdays so week five is their first one against the bears then they go on the road for a couple weeks first the falcons and then the giants and then they're at home against the eagles so they got back-to-back divisional games right there mm-hmm. week nine they're playing in gillette stadium so they're playing the patriots and then they travel across the country to go play the seahawks that's tough yeah. So week 11, they got the Giants at home. And then they got their other Thursday night game being the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. That's t- that's going to be a good one. I love those Cowboys unis on uh, Thanksgiving. Huh? Yeah. And then <laughs> week 13, they got the Dolphins at home. Then they finally get their bye week, week 14. Let's see. Week 15 and 16, they're on the road. They play the Rams. So they go travel out to LA and then they go and play in Joyzy versus the Jets. And then they got their last two games at home. They're gonna be versus the Niners and versus the Cowboys. That's <laughs> that's unfortunate right there too. <laughs> yeah. Um you know, I, I know you're gonna ask me, so before I'm gonna I'll just put it out there right now before I even talk about this this schedule. I I, I think this commanders are gonna struggle this year. Yeah. And it sucks because I really like Ron Rivera. True. I like Martin Mayhew. I like Eric Bieniemy. I think there's some really good players on this team, Terry McLaurin, Chase Young. But I think the schedule is brutal. I think they lack depth. I think I don't feel great about the quarterback position. I don't feel great about their O-line. And there's got to be a team that's not very good. And it feels yeah. like <laughs> Washington could be one of those teams that's just not very good this year and ends up putting themselves in position to draft the quarterback in the top three in the, in the draft next year. So, and then they get that new, I'm not, new I'm not management saying, coming in. I'm not saying tanking, but making, okay. I, I think you got their script, bro. There, there is an element though, to a new owner wanting to get his own people in there. And that's just, yeah. that's okay. just, you see it in every sport. I mean, look at what just happened in Phoenix with the, the Phoenix suns, yeah. new owner, 
they make an instantly make a trade for Kevin Durant, like literally before the ink is dry on this guy being the owner, they uh-huh. make that trade for KD. They don't win in the playoffs. He gets the head coach out of there, and he's going to bring in his own guy. I mean, that's just how it goes. Yeah. So the reality is Washington could have a tough start. All of a sudden, the owner's looking around and saying, you know what? Drake May is pretty good. Caleb Williams is pretty good. Let's yeah. let's fire our head coach and let's be bad, finish out the year, and draft one of those guys. And I just think that's a real scenario for Washington. Uh-huh. Um, it makes sense, even sure. though I do think there's some real talent. And I really like Ron Rivera. I like Eric Bieniemy. I think those guys – I like Martin Mayhew, their GM. I think those guys are good at their job. I just think right now they've all inherited – what was kind of a dumpster fire of a franchise for, for a, yeah. a long time under Daniel Snyder. There's a lot wrong. I mean, the fact that Ron Rivera had this team win the division in 2020 is a testament to how good a coach he is. Right. <laughs> so now they could totally shock me because I don't know how they went eight, eight and one last year. Cause their, their roster is fairly similar. I mean, and they didn't yeah. even have chase young last year. So theoretically they should be better. Um, but yeah. I, I just, you know, I don't see it. I, I think that they maybe got, um, I'm not going to say lucky last year, but they just they they caught the right breaks in certain games, were able to win some close ones, and uh-huh. I think this year there's some there's some real regression, and to the point where, especially early, you know, you have that regression early, and then you have the tough schedule, and then new management, yeah. all that stuff, new new ownership, you know, A lot so of noise in uh, Washington for sure. Yeah. So looking at the schedule, though, I mean, they're. They have a stretch between weeks eight and thirteen before they get on their bye. That I honestly think they could go zero and six. Like seriously, they play road games at the Patriots, the Seahawks, and the Cowboys. They get home games against the Eagles, the Giants, and Dolphins. Mm -hmm. That's three divisional games. Five of six are playoff teams from last year, and the sixth team is the Pats. Right? Yeah. Um. I wouldn't be shocked if they go 0 and 6 in that stretch. Seriously. I, I really do. I think all six of those teams are competing for playoff spots this year. Yeah. And True. those divisional games are tough. Playing the Cowboys on Thanksgiving is going to be brutal. Um having to go all the way out to, you know, having to go to Gillette and then fly all the way out to Seattle yeah. and then come back home, you know, against Long New trips. York. Like I just think there's yeah, I, I just think that's that's a tough stretch and I wouldn't be shocked if they go 0 and 6 there. And if they're zero and six there, you know, then in the rest of their schedule they're three and eight. Yeah, you know, I just think that's <laughs> it's probably about right. I think their easiest stretch is the stretch they have coming out of the gate, weeks one through six, um, playing the Eagles and the Bills during the stretch. So that's those are two tough games. But the other teams here are the Cardinals, the Broncos, the Bears, and the Falcons. I think, you know, maybe they could go three and three or. Two and four, at least one and five, you know? Yeah, true. Um, I think three and three out of that stretch with the way really this team can. looks would probably be good. Yeah. And if you go three and three in that stretch, but I mean, I just think the rest of their schedule is pretty tough. I mean, you look at even coming out of the bye, they got to go to LA, then to New York, then they get the Niners and Cowboys at home. Like I, like I said, I could see them finishing the year with like a legitimate 10 straight losses because they could finish yeah. those last – that six-week stretch before the bye with six losses, and then those last four games, you know, maybe the easiest the easiest one's probably at the Rams. You yeah. got to go fly that all the way to the West Coast and make that West Coast trip. That's not easy. True. 
I could see them finishing seriously with like 10 straight losses. So <laughs> it's a brutal schedule, dude. It's it's not an easy schedule. And with this team and a young quarterback and just so much change in the ownership and all that stuff, I just I yeah. think it's going to be a tough year in Washington. I'm sorry, Commanders fans. It's okay. Uh, I'll pick up the slack for them. I think you guys do, just like I said it with the Giants, I think you guys do similar to what you did the year before. I have mm-hmm. them gone 7 and 10. But, I mean, I'm telling you, man, you could talk to me in anything. After you talk about all the noise in Washington, I was like, you know, maybe they do lose a couple more than I have them. But I was 7-10. and 10. I mean, like you said, the beginning of their schedule is probably where they get the most wins out of the whole thing, right? And then that ending, I think, alone is brutal. Not to mention in the in-betweens where you've mentioned their tough stretches. They got what, four of those on the road, all in tough places, like, I don't know, the way I see it, though, they, the, their biggest question is going to be that quarterback, and so I was going to ask you, do you think that either Sam Howell is going to be the starter, or if bringing in Jacoby Brissett will be a starter in that, uh, in their, like, QB room, or do you think they even have a chance to compete in the NFL with either of those dudes that they have now, or do they need something new? Well, I mean, I look at Washington. Um, I mean, you really, Sam Howell, we don't have a lot. You know, that guy was really good at North Carolina, um, very heralded, and then kind of had that tough senior year. He came back for his senior year, and um, it was kind of, he didn't have the same skill guys around him that he had the first couple years at North Carolina. Uh-huh. And it really diminished his draft stock. Um, he ends up being Sounds like someone else we know too. I think he ended up being a fifth round pick for Washington. Um, okay. Sat majority of the year, watched Tyler Heineke and Carson Wentz make fantastic plays and mistakes. You know, that's, it's interesting. Taylor Heineke and, and Wentz are almost like the exact same quarterback where they will make some throws. We're like, man, this guy has got a ceiling, you know, he's got, he's got a <laughs> yeah. that is up there. And then he makes some throws where are like, oh, you know, and it's just both those guys were so similar. And so they, they were really, truly old school gunslinger. Like, I'm going to make some throws that are going to be really good because I fit it in a window as I trust my arm. And then I'm going to make some throws that are just absolutely bad because I trust <laughs> my arm, you know, and he watched that all year and then got to play in week 18. Um, yeah. And it was an up and down start for him. We'll watch a little bit of film about it, but it was an up and down start for him. Saw some good things, saw some bad things. Really, you know, a lot of the reasons why he was a fifth round pick showed up. The talent mm-hmm. is there. Yeah. Some of the decision making is tough. And so we'll we'll look at that. But then you look at Jacoby Brissett. I mean, he has 48 career starts. Um, he has three years where he started 11 plus games. Oh, yeah. And two in um, India, I believe, and then one with uh, with the Browns last year. Yeah. And in those, in those starts, in those years, he went 43 touchdowns to 19 interceptions, 61% career completions. Um, so Jacoby Brissett, I think is competent. I think he's a guy who can come in and win you games. If you need him to play five games. Yeah. I think if you're asking him to start over an entire season and to be like your starting quarterback going forward, I think that's where it gets tough. Cause I just think he's, He's got a ceiling that doesn't, you know, doesn't take yeah, yeah. your team over the top um, consistently. Yeah. He's going to be yeah. a, a good decision maker. He's going to run your offense efficiently, but 
you know, I, I hate to use that. Like it became such an overused term for a long time, but like that game manager quarterback, you know, that's kind of yeah. think what Jacoby does. And, and yet he even has some plays here and there where he takes True. some chances that I'm like, you know, and he makes some good throws and then not some, not some good ones. So <laughs> he's got a little bit of that inconsistency in his game too. But, um, you know, looking at Sam Howell last year, kind of want to evaluate that that week 18 start he had against the Cowboys. And the Cowboys are playing their guys defensively. So this is a, a good test, a legitimate look. This is him in the in their first drive in the red zone, right? Identifies uh, the one-on-one that he gets and, and gets the ball into Terry McLaurin's hands, right? Let's him go score. I mean, so you'll see it here. This is Terry McLaurin in the slot. He knows he's got the, the under route with the um, – the the corner that's gonna take everything out on this side with the yeah, uh, the tight end, yeah. and he's gonna run the back to the flat again, taking the linebacker out of there. So now it creates a true one on one, even though it's zone coverage, right? And he's just gonna run away from that that underneath defender and score. It's a really good concept, honestly, really good design. And Howell does a good job of understanding where where we, he needs to get that guy the ball and getting him the ball and letting him go score. If they're going to have success, and I think Eric Bieniemy, that's the one thing that I feel good about. I do think Eric Bieniemy can do some of that stuff for them. You know, then maybe there is some some real reason for hope there. So Washington fans, not all despair here. <laughs> Here's another play, right? It's all out blitz, right? I'm getting pressure on third down. I got to throw it up. I got one on one. Now look, this is very similar to that Daniel Jones play we looked at earlier, right? This is sure. NFL Open. My guy has a step on your guy. I got to put it out in front of him. The problem is he throws off that back foot because he's getting pressure in his face, and he way underthrows it. Now, he gets lucky because they get bailed out by a penalty. Yeah. So it's not say. all bad, but, dude, that's Terry McLaurin. If I put it out in front of Terry McLaurin with a step he like that, not. he probably scores, man. So there's that's where it's like, oh, okay, we question like some of the footwork and then the arm strength of Sam Howell, right? Again, yeah. he throws it off that back foot. He can step into that throw. Step in. He throws it off because he he throws it off the back foot because he's afraid of getting hit, and and he kind of floats it out there, trusting like my arm is strong enough to just put it out in front of him. And instead, you know, it falls short. Now again, they got the pi. It's not all bad, but there's some stuff about it where it could be better. Here he shows a little bit of mobility. Right, gets out yeah. and run with the little slide. You'll I'm see kind of what the read. Our guy, DJ. <laughs> yeah. You see kind of what he's looking at the read here. Off the play action sprint out. He gets the Micah Parsons running down the line. Right? <laughs> right? And he that guy is vacated. I could throw the ball to my tight end in the flat, but the backer is running with him. So I feel like I have leverage. I can puncture through right here. And so he does. Smart. You know, that's where it's like, okay, he's got some skill. He's got some, he's smart. He got some smartness to him and he's got some skill to go get it done. Now, here we go. Play closer to the red zone. Little play action. Again, oh, I'm going to try and step up. I hold on the ball too long, though. And I take a sack. Yeah. Now, this is also where I say this O-line is largely the same. I mean, they, they added Andrew Wiley, which is huge. I do think that's going to help them at that right tackle spot. But for the most part, the rest of these guys are the same. And look at this. He's getting pressure really quick, and he's taking a sack. Yeah. Right. Now, I'm glad he didn't try and do anything crazy and throw the ball. While he was in the grasp there, that could have been a disaster, right? But even still, I just I do worry that some of the 
the O-line is not going to give him the time, the requisite time to make good throws. Now here is another one. He escapes. Look at, gets it to Terry McLaurin, like puts it on him. That's a really good throw. On pressure, going to his left, no less. Watch, watch how he, this is actually really good footwork. Watch him. Running to his left. See how he hinges on that shoulder right there? Yeah, yeah, gets those shoulders square. Follows through, puts it right on Terry McLaurin where he can keep running. Almost lets, it almost leads him into the end zone. Really close. Now, unfortunately, this is the next play. He's feeling himself. He had a great play the play before, a little play action fake. Now he thinks, I can get this to my guy running to the corner of the end zone, right? I, he's going to be able to beat him. The problem is he doesn't see the corner. And, and really, the, both those guys. Yeah. I just, and it, was, that's just it a, wasn't even high enough to get over that. That was a really poor decision. He threw it into yeah. triple coverage. I mean, he throws a pick <laughs> in the end zone. That's taking points off the board. Those are the kind of things where you're like, oh, okay, you know. Don't like that. So Howell is probably going to be up and down, honestly. I mean, and I think their O-line is a big question mark. I think the skill guys beyond Terry McLaurin are a question mark. So the only – again, I like Eric Bieniemy, but, man, I, this is not that Kansas City offense from a talent perspective. Last year, Washington was 24th in points per game. They only scored 18.9 points a game. I, I kind of feel like they could be worse this year, just just based on what I'm looking at and from the talent perspective. So their defense would have to be unbelievable for them to to win a lot of games. So, a game. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I so I don't see it right now. I'm not a believer in Washington overall, um, and I think it's because they just have real big questions on offense, especially at the quarterback position. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean. Watching these plays, I know we were highlighting Sam Howell, but that line that you mentioned, that left side was something else. And that left side didn't change. No. (laughs) From last year to this year. uh, I was going to give props to them on one play. It was when he threw it off his back foot. But then when when we switched views, that left side, that dude blew blew by him across his face, and then that's why Mm -hmm. he threw it off the back foot. So... I see where you're looking at on that one, so we'll see how that plans out for them. Because, uh, like you said, they did not get no new additions for that side. The, the line. yeah, yeah. Let's see. Looking ahead, though, the third team in this division we're gonna take a look at is gonna be the Eagles. Last year they finished at 14 and three, which gave them first in the division. Was that uh, first overall in the East Eastern Conference? Am I tripping? The NFC. <laughs> the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I, I'm in basketball mode. I'm in basketball <laughs> mode. My bad. Uh, yeah, they were the number one seed in the in the NFC. Yeah, yeah the Eastern Conference. Come on. <laughs> hey, you know they're they're just bleeding together right now. But yo, know, so 14 and three last year. Like I said, first in the NFC overall, first in their division as well, and then they their finish was in the Super Bowl, losing to the Chiefs, as we all seen. Yeah, um, the first thing I'm going to say, I didn't have enough room on this graphic to include all the guys they lost from that Super Bowl team. Uh-huh. So I had to write notes. <laughs> so I'll just read these guys off. Uh, uh, and it may, take me, it may take me a minute. I, <laughs> by my count, they lost 13 key players, either starters or rotational players, regularly playing players from that Super okay. Bowl team. So here we go. The biggest one, honestly – D-tackle Javon Hargrave going to the Niners, signed for big money. Congrats mm. to him. 
Andre Dillard, um, their kind of swing tackle who could play if Lane Johnson was hurt or um, Mylotta wasn't playing or whatever. Okay. He gave them a lot of depth. That was that's a loss for sure. Starting guard Isaac Siamalu, safety Chauncey Gardner Johnson, linebacker T.J. Edwards, running back Miles Sanders, safety Marcus Epps, edge player Robert Quinn, linebacker Kaiser White, quarterback Gardner Minshew, receiver Zach Pascal, D-line Nadama Kinsu, D-line Linval Joseph. Now some of these guys, Sue and Joseph, are actually both unsigned right now. Potentially could uh-huh. be back if they yeah. wanted to. Um, kind, of, kind of older guys who could either retire or wait till after training camp to sign with a team. I actually saw yeah. Nadamakan Sue say in an interview that he's just kind of waiting out training camp. He's like, dude, I don't want to do training camp. I'm good. Yeah. I just want Especially to find when the contender. That many years in the league. And sign. Yeah. Both those guys have a run. Um, Sue and Joseph actually both signed in the season with the Eagles last year. So I could see the, either one of those guys doing that again, whether it's the Eagles yeah. or someone else. But still, guys who played like real snaps for them up front. Um, so it's going to be a task replacing all those guys. Now, yeah. the beauty of Howie Roseman and what he has done is they have actually drafted ahead and prepared for this. So yep. they drafted guys in last year's draft to kind of be ready for losing some of these guys. And then also addressed it again in this year's draft as well. So I think they've done a good job of preparing to, or already replacing guys on the roster. Um, but losing 13 players in one free agency, that's wild. it's hard. It's hard. It's a lot. It's, you know, continuity is, is important in the NFL and losing all those guys, you know, you lose continuity at the very least. So they did add um, Marcus Mariota to replace Gardner Johnson. That's actually um, huge. Gardner I didn't Minshew know they did that. At the back of quarterback. I do think Marcus probably f- can play more like Jalen yeah, than Gardner sure. Minshew could. And, and not just that he's a runner, um, but like some of the stuff that they like to do with some of the RPO game, he's just more comfortable yeah. than I think Gardner Minshew probably was. <clears throat> and Gardner Minshew actually did a really good job, I think, in his couple starts that he played for Hurts. So it was a big loss. But adding Mariota helps that not be so so big of a deal. Yeah, um, DeAndre Swift. Huge. Um, that's a big addition. They also added Rashad Penny at the running back yeah, spot as well. Yeah. Um, and then they added safety Terrell Edmonds. So they did a really good job actually addressing some of these things in free agency and with Swift's case of trade um, to kind of plug some of those holes. So I do feel like they've done a very good job, whether it was last year's draft, this year's free agency, or this year's draft with Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith, Keely mm-hmm. Ringo, Sidney Brown. Um, they drafted some really good players. They added some really good players in free agency. So they have replaced a lot of those guys. But again, continuity, that's all. Continuity is an issue for them. Yeah, yeah so the, the management and coaching staff, you briefly touched on this. You talked about Howie Roseman being there in the building at the general manager spot. Head coach Nick Sirianni, who I I, I was hoping would win that uh, coach of the year last year. That's what I, I thought he would do. Let's see. Off in the Very corner, well they got Brian Johnson. And then D coordinator Sean Decide, Desi, Desi, I, you know, here we are. Decide, decide. You were right the first decide. time. Decide, you know, I got to trust my gut. <laughs> so this is the other thing. New OC, new DC, right? Yeah. So continuity, I mean, and that it's so hard. You go to a Super Bowl, like your OC becomes a head coach, your DC becomes a head coach. All these dudes who are up for contracts go get paid. 
and yet again, I thought they did a good job addressing some of those those needs they had in in their staff. Like I think the guys they brought in are are good. You know, I mean, maybe a little different from what they were doing, but really, really good coaches that uh-huh. I that I like and respect and think could could do a good job. It's just again continuity will be different. It's going to be a different year um, for the Eagles. So. Um, which coming off a Super Bowl could you could view that as good or bad, right? Sometimes teams go lose that Super Bowl and they can't they can't get it the next year. I mean, look at look at you know some of the teams more recently it, huh? that have well look at some of the teams more recently <laughs> who have won and lost Super Bowls and then come back yeah. the next year. And it's just been tough, you know. Yeah. The Bucks, the Rams, you know. I mean, it's just that's just kind of how it goes. So um, Maybe sometimes it's a good thing if, if you have enough turnover that it's it feels like a new team. But yeah. offensively, guy who has not changed, who has been there forever, been there for both their Super Bowl runs in recent memory, Jason Kelsey at center. Mm-hmm. Um, at left guard, on the left side, nothing changes. Landon Dickerson, Jordan Mailata. I mean, arguably from center to left tackle, the best trio in the league, honestly. Kelsey, Dickerson, and Mailata. Fantastic. At right guard, a little bit of changes. They lost Isaac Siamalu, so Cam Jurgens steps right in. Been there, though. Has played plenty of snaps for them. Does a really good job. And then at right tackle, Lane Johnson. So, again, this is an example of Cam Jurgens already being on the roster, uh-huh. ready to step in. They also drafted Tyler Steen from Alabama to be that backup to Jurgens and add depth. So, again, they've addressed it twice. One yeah. guy already on the roster, adding another guy to replace – that guy right? <laughs> um, at quarterback at quarterback Jalen Hurts and they lost the backup um, and added Marcus Mariota to be the backup mm-hmm. fantastic again address that really well at running back I like their running back room DeAndre Swift Rashad Penny yeah. and then they still have Kenneth Gainwell fantastic I love that um their receivers AJ Brown comes back coming off a monster year Dallas Goddard comes back uh, Devonte Smith comes back. They they kept a lot of continuity here. They um, did add um, Alameda Zacchaeus to play in the slot. Also, Quez Watkins is back. They also have Britton Covey. A little bit of he's a punt returner, but gives him a little depth at receiver. And then also at the backup tight end spot, Jack Stoll. Um, so offensively, they should did have largely a very similar group. Um, small changes at right guard and running back, but everyone else pretty much the same. Defensively, um, <clears throat> they add, or I should say, they, they bring back Hassan Reddick at the edge. Also have Josh Sweat at the other edge. Mm-hmm. Um, Brandon Graham comes back for another year. Feels like that guy's been for, been there forever. Derek Barnett is still another guy they have on the edge that they drafted years ago, who's been productive. And then they add Nolan Smith to that group. Again, this is an example to me of they know Brandon Graham probably nearing retirement possible Josh Sweat or Derek Barnett could leave soon. They draft Nolan Smith this year to address a need that will likely come up next year. I just think Howie Roseman has done such a good job and I'm, I'm you know, people who are not Eagles fans probably are not going to enjoy this right now because I'm kind of <laughs> giving him his, his just due, but I mean, really, you look at it. On the defensive line, they bring back Fletcher Cox, another guy who's just been there forever, fantastic mm-hmm. vet up front. Um, they also add um, the big, big draft pick Jalen Carter. And then they also had Jordan Davis, who they drafted last year. Again, an example of drafting Davis and Carter preparing for, you know, the loss of Javon Hargrave and, 
you know, the potential loss of, of um, Sue and Limbaugh Joseph as rotational players. You know, maybe they bring That's one true. of those guys back now and they have a really good rotation up front. Um, also, in the linebacker core, they have Nicobe Dean at Mike, another example of drafting a guy, letting him sit for a year. You lose those backers up front. Nicobe Dean slides right in, should be very good. Now, more of an unknown at the Will linebacker spot, Nicholas Morrow. That may be a tougher one for for them in terms of the the production they'll get from him compared to what they were getting before. Um, Avante Maddox comes back as the slot corner, mm-hmm. and then at the corners they have Darius Slay and James Bradbury back for another year. They add Greedy Williams in free agency and Keely Ringo in the draft to be their backup corners. Two guys I, I like um, at safety. Bring in Terrell Edmonds. Reed Blankenship is a guy who played plenty of snaps for them last year. So yeah. again, a guy who's on the roster. And then they drafted Sidney Brown again. And so I don't know how Roy, Howie Roseman has done this with like, he seems to have the perfect amount of picks to just replace the guys <laughs> that leave and replacing them a year early or right when he needs to, I mean, whatever, but I, and you know, you know how I, I like Sidney Brown a lot. So that's another guy that I think could potentially yeah. play real snaps for them. So they have the dude a, out of Illinois. Yeah, yeah. They have a pretty deep roster considering losing 13 guys in free agency. And yet, Still feels like they're pretty deep. I like them. Yeah, no, I, it's just crazy. Repeating all those names, it's like, man, this team is monsters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just just thinking about everyone on the team has me excited to watch these dudes because they're going to ball. But as we mentioned with the other two teams, they're, the schedule that they got, you know, it's a tough one. So it is tough. That, that first, they go on the road first game out the gate. They go to play Bill Belichick in new england then they're at home thursday night against the vikings that could be fun i like that see week three they're playing the bucks on a monday night game i'm sorry bucks fans that's (laughs) gonna be a pain week four they're at home versus the commanders so they got their first divisional game this is kind of the easy stretch of their (laughs) and then let's see there they got two weeks right here on the road they go to la that i would love to see that hopefully that happens and then they played the Jets in New England, or New England, I'm sorry, New York, or I guess Jersey. I, Jersey. I, I, I do that every time. <laughs> they're in New York, but they're not in New York. And then, so they get a Sunday night game, week seven versus the Dolphins. And then they got, and so their first two divisional games are against the Commanders. Week eight, they play them again on the road this time. Mm-hmm. And then they play the Cowboys at home, which leads them to their bye in week 10. That, I think that's a solid buy, right? Like, kind of yeah, in the I, middle. That's always good. I think Especially their schedule is very – it's very balanced. So even though it's kind of tough, they do have a, a fairly balanced schedule in terms of where they get to buy in the right spot and, uh-huh. and whatnot. So, yeah. And then coming off their buy, they play the Chiefs. So we get that rematch of the Super Bowl on a Monday night game. And I guess, surprisingly enough, the Chiefs also come off their buy that week. So a little bit – Two teams well prepared for each other that they didn't just see, you know, in February. And then week 12, they had a couple game, home games. Week 12, week 13, they play the Bills, and then they play the Niners. Two fun games that I look forward to. Actually, I guess those three are all going to be, mm-hmm. you know, a four. He can include the Cowboys. That's going to be a great span of games for the Eagles. It's going to be tough, but it's going to be fun to watch. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. So. Week 14, they're playing the Cowboys in, it's a tough stretch. in Dallas on the Sunday night. 
Let's see, week 15, also on the road again. They travel to Seattle, that long-distance travel across the country, unfortunately for all these teams. And then two out of their last three are going to be versus the Giants. They got Monday night, week 16, against the Giants, also a Christmas game. Christmas. So we got mm-hmm. we, we, three, oh. three Christmas games like we did last three. year. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be fun. All on Monday night, too, so it's going to be a long, long day. Yeah, Let's it's see. like a it's just like we had this year where they have like a early afternoon, mid afternoon, uh-huh. you know, early evening and then evening. Dope dope, yeah. That's gonna be a good day. Week seventeen, they're at home versus the Cardinals, and then their last game they travel to, to Jersey. I mean you get it right the first time mm-hmm. and they play the Giants closing out the season. Yeah, so like I said, I think the Eagles schedule is is well constructed for them. Um in terms of the tough stretch, I mean, it's pretty easy to see. I, I mentioned it before when we talked about the schedule itself, when we looked at what stood out. This yeah. is the toughest stretch that I think anyone has in any, on any schedule. <laughs> I mean, I really do. I think it's one of the toughest stretches I can pick out from anyone's schedule coming yeah. off their bye. At the Chiefs on Monday Night Football, and oh, by the way, they don't even have a rest advantage because the Chiefs are also coming off their bye. <laughs> Versus the Bills at home. Versus the 49ers at home. At the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football. At the Seahawks. And then versus the Giants on Christmas Day. That is (laughs) a brutal stretch of six games. I mean, seriously, seriously brutal. Um, You're talking about three three contenders coming out of the bye. Like three true Super Bowl contenders in a row. Two, like semi maybe dark horse contenders in the Cowboys and Seahawks and then a divisional opponent that's always proven to be scrappy for you on Christmas Day yeah seriously tough I mean just it's yeah it doesn't really I don't think anyone has a tougher stretch than that six games right there that's that's tough um and they're gonna probably need to go I could see them going three and three and I, I kind of think that's what they'll do about three and three. But if they want to compete for the number one seed in the NFC, they probably have to go four and two in that stretch. Mm-hmm. So really tough. And then their easy stretch, they get that first five games. They really get to ease into the yeah. ease into the schedule. I mean, you, you get to play home road games at the Pats, Bucks, and Rams. Home games against the Vikings and Commanders. Really could see them starting, you know, five and zero, oh, four and one in yeah. that stretch. Feels like that's a pretty. The only thing that's maybe tough in that in that stretch is just the fact that you got to go to LA. You know, you got to go mm-hmm. to Gillette to open the year, and then to LA um, in terms of the travel for that stuff, and and then having to play at New England is always kind of hard. But I think you know they should they should wipe the Bucks and the Commanders. Yeah. And honestly, I think they they've owned the Vikings in recent years too. So I wouldn't be shocked if they just kind of those three games in a row just smoke those three teams. <laughs> um, yeah, so I could easily see them starting out five and zero, just yeah, coming right out true. of the gate. So, which if they do, that really helps them kind of going into that tough stretch out after the bye. So, yeah, no, that that I, we both agreed on this one, which is rare to see so far. So twelve mm-hmm. and five for their whole schedule. I think it all comes down to those. Was it four, five games after the bye? Where it's just a matter of what can they win those? Can they minimize the losses to only three, or if it slips a couple times? So we'll see. It's gonna be 
It's going to be uh, a, a fun stretch, though, right there to watch on TV because those are all fun games for sure. Yeah, I think I, I think I see them being about seven and two going into the bye, maybe five and three after the bye. You know, something like yeah, that, based that. on how their schedule plays out. And that's I see them sitting about twelve and five. I do think they're. It's tough to rebound from a Super Bowl, especially when you lose it. Mm-hmm. Um, this division is very good. The NFC West is very good. The AFC East is very good um, in terms of the schedule that they have to play. Schedule's harder. They're going to have to deal with some new bodies in there, some some turnover in some key positions, some turnover at the OC and DC positions, that yeah. kind of thing. But in general, this team is so talented and has so much going for it that I think – that they, I just can't imagine them being not a playoff team, and I and I really think yeah, that's they're talented sure. enough and have enough pedigree that, like I said, I think they're twelve and five because it's a rough schedule. Like if I was yeah. really, really, you know, fourteen and three is a high bar. So I think yeah. they regress a couple games, but not because I think this team isn't good, but I, I just think all of those factors hard. are kind of going against them, and so twelve and, and five feels right. We brought it, yeah. So my question for the Eagles was going to be, how do you think their defense is going to end up looking compared to what they've have been in the last year with all those key losses and newer additions? Well, um, I really had to deep dive this one a little bit um, just because it's less about, I think, their personnel and their players um, and, and more about who's going to be calling the defense. Okay. So, the coach. yeah, I looked at Sean Desai um, and what he's done as a defensive coordinator. He became the Bears DC in 2021. And then um, after Matt Nagy was fired and they got a new staff, he joined the Seahawks staff and became, they called him like the defensive associate head coach or something like that. Or like head coach <laughs> of defense. He was the defensive coordinator yeah. in Seattle, okay. right? Like that's that's what he. They did. just gave so, him a fancy title. <laughs> yeah, they gave him a little more title, maybe paid him a more. I don't know, but um, his just looking at both those defenses. So the twenty twenty one Bears, twenty twenty two Seahawks. Um, both those defenses were good in the red zone, um, okay. averaging around fifty five percent touchdown conversion in the red zone, which is which is pretty good. Um, wow. If you're at like fifty percent, you're really doing some good stuff in the NFL. Um, The Bears were 13th the year he was there. And then the Seahawks, not quite as good. They were 23rd, but but the conversion percentage was pretty close. So um, Philly was really bad here in 2021. They were much better in 2022. So in 2021 under um, their DC, uh, Jonathan Gannon, they were 66% touchdown percentage in the red zone. And then last year, 55. So a lot more similar to what, better. Yeah, a lot more um, similar to what Desai was doing. But then the other thing that I looked up was I was so just kind of looking at structures of these two defenses. They're actually structured very similarly. You're going to get odd fronts in terms of okay. like a three three man front. You'll see it here. I mean, you can kind of see just how they're lined up here. They've got a three man front with the then a, a stand up guy who's coming down. But you'll see a lot more guys closer to the line of scrimmage with um, what Deshai is going to do than what Jonathan Gannon did. Um, I'll explain why that's important here in a second. But structurally, like positionally and how they, you know, you're going to see more odd fronts, um, two high safety looks, that kind of thing, at least pre-snap. 
So it's a lot more akin. It's kind of similar to some of the stuff I was showing you with what Fangio is going to be doing in Miami. Okay. Um, But philosophically, it does feel like Desai and Gannon are very different. And this is where I would say Philly fans may be excited about this, actually. So Chicago's 2021 defense, they gave up the seventh highest explosive run rate and ninth highest explosive pass rate. So they're giving up about six explosive plays a game. And generally we define like an explosive pass as like a pass of 20 plus yards and a run of 12 plus yards. Okay. So when you're giving up big plays, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Now, Philly fans may not be excited to hear like, oh, Deshai's defenses give up big plays. Now, hold on. I'll get to it. Um, Philly's defense, on the other hand, gave up like the fifth least explosive plays in run and least in pass. So they were giving up only about five explosive plays a game. Um, so what Philly's defense under Jonathan Gannon did, they played a lot of too high shells and really stuck in that too high and forced teams to run the ball. Uh-huh. It, it, they said, hey, we, we're not going to let you throw. You're going to run the football. So they didn't give up explosive pass play, right? They didn't give up explosive plays in general because they were just safe. I mean, everything was kind of safe. Keep everything in front of us. Don't give up big plays. Yeah. And then we'll be good in the red zone. Well, the problem in 2021 is they weren't good in the red zone. Whereas in 2022, they were much better. So you saw their defense was much better. Sean Desai's um, philosophy is they're going to be more aggressive. And even when they give up big plays, they'll be really good in the red zone. And then, um, but they're all, but they're also going to create big plays because they're more aggressive, right? Um, so the Eagles ranked 24th in run def- the, um, in yards per attempt last season whereas these Bears and Seahawks defenses were much better against the run. So I do think there's some interesting differences. So this is a, um, some clips of this Bears defense that Desai had in 2021. It's a series of plays against the Raiders, and then we'll look at a series of plays that the Eagles had last year. So this defense, more bodies near the line of scrimmage, going to be much better against the run. Right, they're more aggressive. You can see they're he's gonna blitz some guys some more. He's gonna play tighter coverage, not sit in so many two high shells. He'll maybe start with a two high look, but then rotate over. You see all the bodies in the middle of the field creating that incompletion. Uh-huh. Um, and you'll see kind of they rotated to one high off the two high look, and that safety was able to impact this play. Almost comes up with the pick there. All right, and now this is third and 10. Look at how many guys are near the line of scrimmage. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. <laughs> they're playing with nine bodies basically on yeah. the line of scrimmage, whether they're covering or, or pressuring, right? But they're bringing the house. Oh, wait. No, they're not. They're only going to bring four. They're going to drop out. So Josai loves to disguise stuff, uh-huh. right? He loves to not show his hand. Um, and so they drop out, force a tough look make the check down happen, get off the field on third down. So you'll see, I think the beauty of this for Josiah, he has the personnel to run the same stuff. Look, this is a similar setup, right? The three-man front with a stand-up, two true backers, a nickel, four, four DBs, right? Two high look, oh, they walk it down into one high. You can get into that, right? Now, again, less bodies near the line of scrimmage for the Eagles, right? This is only a six-man box with the seventh guy walking up late with the safety, but really, seven-man box. 
not as many guys knew the line of scrimmage. The Lions are able to run the football on them, right? That was one thing that really plagued the Eagles last year. They were not very good against the run. They sat back in a lot of those two high shells. And even on this one, they bring up the, the seventh defender in the box. But, you know, their, their D-line is really good, but it's very penetrating. So it creates yeah. a lot of open gaps. And so if you don't have other guys in the, you know, near the line of scrimmage to be able to fill those gaps, it can be tough. Again, here's another play in the series. They run the football. Jamal Williams gashes them, right? And yeah, the Eagles defense. Uh, intentionally put in that play with Swift right before that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here you go. Here's another one. A little short motion. Again, the Lions were running the football. Yeah. Getting them in the red zone here. So even with what they have up front, you'll see like this is from the Lions, right? They have one, two, three, four, five, and then the sixth blocker, right? So that creates seven open gaps, right? So you need seven in the box to make this work. So they're bringing that safety down late, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, to try and create the seventh defender in that box to cover all the gaps. Well, now they bring in this receiver. Well, now that creates an eighth gap. So now you got to bring your corner in or you got to bring your safety down and adjust. And, you know, Avante Maddox, that's just not really what he wants to do right now. (laughs) He's not trying to go get in there and get grimy. And so now you're kind of over-pursued by the backers because they feel this big hole. Now there's cutback lanes and there's D-Lyman getting up the field. And so the Eagles were – a really good defense last year, but they just, they, these were certain areas they struggled in that I think Sean Desai will focus on and try and create um, more, more matchups for them that, that are favorable. And not to say that he's better than Jonathan Gannon. I just think he's different. They're probably going to give up more explosive plays, but they're also going to be better against the run. So, you know, you kind of, there's always, you know, I kind of don't like the saying, but the old, the old like, million different ways to skin a cat, you know, like that whole thing. There's oh, so I've many different ways. That. Huh? I said, I've never heard that actually. <laughs> oh yeah. No, that's a, that's a common saying that I, it's kind of a weird one. I don't know why we say it. I, I got to figure out something different, something different <laughs> to say, but again, here you go. They're playing against the pass in the red zone They're And like I said, they were much better in the red zone last year, not giving up touchdowns. They were stingier down here, but you'll see the lions eventually take this drive and their toughness and ability to run the ball, they do eventually score on fourth and goal. Um, this is third and goal right here from the five yard line. The lines are like, "Hey, we're going to run the ball on these cats." Yeah, almost get in right there. Working the whole time, yeah, yeah. Now they get fourth and goal at the one after this play, and here you go again. The lions condense the formation. You create all these extra gaps, so you got to put extra bodies in the in there. And these guys, you know, they don't want the smoke, right? <laughs> like they're not filling that gap right there. Yeah, no one's in there. Now, who is that? I think that was Blankenship, maybe? No, Epps. No. Epps came up and makes that tackle. Great, great play by him. Now, here's another one, though. Fourth and goal. They're going to run this play. Boom, he gets stuffed initially, but then Jamal Williams is going to go in and score. So, it's going to be key for this decide, um, defense to come up with these stops in the red zone if they are going to give up some bigger plays based on what his track record shows. But I do think... He is a guy who will utilize all the talent that they have on this defense, especially the pass rusher positions, and maybe be 
know, I heard a lot of Eagles fans bemoan the fact that they were like too safe and too, <laughs> um, you know, too too safe on defense in last year. And I think you'll see a little bit more aggression out of Sean Desai than you saw from Gannon. So Eagles fans may like that. Hopefully he can improve on those things and maybe clean some of it up because they got the they got the squad, no doubt. Let's see. But the last team that we're looking at is going to be America's team. You know, that's what they call them, the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. They finished last year at a record of 12-5, and five, finished second in division, and then they lost in the divisional, divisional round. Uh, who'd they end up playing? I don't even remember. What's the it? 49ers. The Niners. Yeah, that's right. Tough, tough break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, this team, not quite the amount of losses that the Eagles had, but they did lose some key or like familiar faces that have been around for a long time. I mean, Dalton Schultz have been the tight end for the last three years. Anthony Brown's been a corner there for, it feels like a long time. Connor McGovern, you know, has been there for, for a really long time. Um, Ezekiel Elliott, you know, Jason Peters, not so much. They added him last year out of necessity when, uh, Tyron Smith went down, but, um. Yeah, they they lost a lot of faces who had been there for quite some time. Now they did go add a couple big names in free agency and and trade market. Brandon Cooks and Stephon Gilmore. You know the kind of splashy names that you know Jerry Jones loves to add. Yeah. Um. I do think both those veteran guys will help them. And so those are two big time additions. Um. In the draft, they drafted Mozzie Smith in the first round, and then Schoonmaker. Um. In a in on day two, I mean, and then DeMarvion Overshone, a guy who I really like, also on day two. A couple Michigan guys there that they like. They seem to like Michigan players at in uh, in Dallas. <laughs> and then uh, Overshone could be a really good backer for them. So we'll see what, what happens with that. Yeah, so their management they got there, you know, the most probably most famous guy on this that we'll probably see out of the whole thing in this category. They got Jerry Jones at the general manager spot. We got owner coach. GM. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, head coach Mike McCarthy. You know, I brought him in a couple years back from Green Bay. Let's see. Uh, the offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer. Is he? Is his first year? Or was he there last year too? This is his first year because Kellen year. Moore is uh, is gone now. Gotcha. And then their defensive coordinator would be Dan Quinn. Yeah, um, the Cowboys offense should look a little different. Um, lost some familiar faces up front, at tight end, at running back, and then as well as losing Kellen Moore, um, you know, Mike McCarthy decided to go in a different direction. Really, it sounds like he's taking control of the offense with Brian Schottenheimer's help, but I believe Mike McCarthy is calling the place. So mm-hmm. he's kind of going back to a model that worked for him for some time in Green Bay. At center, they added Tyler Biadish. So there you go, Jody. I, know, I, I knew yeah. you would uh, struggle <laughs> with that one. Um, Do you know his nationality? I don't. I don't uh, actually. Okay, I'll look um, um, but I do know his, his – I researched how to say that name just to be sure that we were saying it right. So I wanted to do him justice. Um, it's Biadish. But um, at left guard, Tyler Smith, and then also um, Asim Richards – uh, backing him up, left tackle Tyron Smith should come back healthy and ready to go. 
right guard, a staple, Zach Martin, been there for a long time, done a great job. At right tackle, Terrence Steele. At the receiver spots, at the X receiver, Brandon Cooks comes in, should be very helpful um, in terms of giving them another weapon. At the tight end spot, Luke Schoonmaker and Jake Ferguson are their, their two tight ends. And the slot, obviously, they've got C.D. C. Lamb um, backing him up. Their really good returner, Kevontae Turpin, um, play a little on offense in the slot there. And then at the Z position, Michael Gallup getting fully healthy off that ACL, finally feeling like himself, it sounds like. Quarterback, obviously, Dak Prescott. And then uh, Cooper Rush is his backup again. And then at running back, it's a different room this year. Tony Pollard being the lead guy. But then also Deuce Vaughn coming in as his backup and um, and Malik Davis sort of rounding out the group there. Uh, I'm really excited to see Deuce Vaughn. You know I love Deuce Vaughn. Ooh, it's Paul. Um, Let's sneak that in. Oh, my guy, uh, Biatish? Yeah. Polish. All right. Shout out to Poland. It's funny because the first answer I saw was American. I was like, all right, well, I, I got to type in what his <laughs> last name's from now. <laughs> um. So defensively, uh, at the edge position, going to more of a full-time edge position, they're calling him the Leo position, oh. uh, Micah Parsons. At the nose, Mozzie Smith with Jonathan Hankins backing him up. At the tackle spot, Osa uh, Odegajiwu. Uh, I probably butchered that one. And then at the other edge spot, Demarcus Lawrence. You know, we can't all be perfect with all the names. Sorry, yeah, guys, yeah. I'm trying. Um, I get it. I was struggling all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then at the linebacker spots, there's an interesting battle at that will spot with um, DeMarvian Overshone and uh, Damone Clark. See who wins that battle. I think Overshone has a really good shot. Um, then at Mike, Leighton Vander Esch, been there for a little while now. At the nickel spot, Jordan Lewis, another Michigan guy for them, been there for quite some time. I mean, 2017, I think, is when they drafted him. He's He's been there for forever, it feels like now. <laughs> um, at the corner spots, Trayvon Diggs and Stefan Gilmore, maybe two of the best ball hawking corners, like tandems in the league at this point. I mean, that's pretty good, pretty good group right there. Um, also Kelvin Joseph adding a little depth and then at safety Malik Hooker and Donovan Wilson with, uh, J Ron curse being another guy that could play back there. So some real good depth in the uh, secondary forum, big names, obviously some really good players. Yeah. Uh, Let's see the schedule they got this year. Actually, before I do that, I'm I'm excited to see Overshone. I know we we talked about him in our uh, breakdown of the backers. So Dan Quinn will have fun blitzing him. I'll tell you <laughs> but yeah, so getting in their schedule, they start off on the road. So they come out with the first game, first divisional game at the start mm-hmm. of the season, Sunday night against the Giants. That that should be fun. I, mean, I probably mm-hmm. said that when we when we talked about the Giants. Yeah, it seems like so long ago already. <laughs> feels like feels like Giants Cowboys on Sunday Night Football Week One is just kind of like standard. Like feels like that's like every year, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> I know it. It's definitely a good way to go if you want to start off with a Sunday Night game being in divisional. That's always yeah. one and a half. Uh, let's see, Week Two they play the the Jets in Dallas, so they stay at home. Then they travel to Arizona week three. That should be, you know, I don't want to say it, but it should be easy. And they're at home <laughs> versus the Patriots week four. And then they got a couple games on the road. Dang. Okay, that that's unfortunate for 
but I don't want to jump into that. So the week five, they play on the road in uh, the Bay versus the Niners on a Sunday night game. Then they're in L.A. playing the Chargers on a Monday night game. The Chargers will be coming off a bye that week. And then week seven, the Cowboys have their bye. I feel bad for both those teams. That's early for a bye, in my opinion. But let's see. Week eight, they play the Rams at home. They played there last year, so that makes sense. Week nine, they play the Eagles on the road. So they finally get their second divisional game. Week nine, traveling to Philly. And then they got week 10 versus the Giants at home. Week 11, the Panthers. That's a good one to see out of this whole whole division. I, we get to see our guy, Bryce Young, playing the the Cowboys. Let's see. Week 12, they get a couple home games here, actually. They play week 12 versus the Commanders. We talked about that. It's Thursday night on Thanksgiving. And they got the Seahawks at home, another Thursday night game. And then they play the Eagles on the Sunday night, week 14. And then, let's see, where am I? Week 15, they play the Bills on the road. That's going to be tough. Week 16, the Dolphins on the road. And then they got week 17 versus the Lions on a Sunday night game. That could be fun. And they close out the year on the road versus the Commanders. So I think a lot of the meat of this Cowboys schedule comes post-bye week. Yeah, um, I think they have their sort of quote unquote easy stretch weeks eight through 13. Um, just in being that their road games are the Eagles, the Panthers, and then their home games, are the Rams, Giants, and Commanders. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the game at Philly is obviously a tough one, but they have four outside very winnable games yeah. outside of those. You know, getting the Rams where they're going to have the bye week, right? That's a huge advantage at home against the Rams. Then yeah. the Giants at the Panthers, the Commanders on on uh, uh, on Thanksgiving Day. I think that's a stretch where they could realistically go, you know, four and one. Um, yeah, easily. You know. So, and then if they could get that game at Philly, you know, then it's a five and zero oh stretch. But realistically, four and one. Now, I think that gets really hard though. Weeks thirteen through seventeen right after Mm -hmm. that they get kind of this easy like crew stretch eight through 12 really tough stretch 13 through 17 so now we'll just go through it they got to go road games at at the bills at the dolphins home games seahawks uh i'm sorry at the bills at the dolphins home games against the seahawks the eagles and the lions those are you know i think the lions are going to be pretty good I think the Dolphins are competing for a playoff spot. I think the Bills are obviously going to be pretty good. The Eagles and Seahawks could both potentially win their divisions. I mean, that's, this is a this is not a tough game. Plus, they got to do the Tuesday night or Thursday night football, Sunday night football twice yeah. in that stretch. Um, so some primetime games. So I think that's a tough stretch. If they could, you know, come out of that thing, um, you know, three and three after going four and one in the stretch before that that could potentially set them up pretty nice to be, um, you know, in, in playoff positioning. Um, and then they finish the year at the commanders. That should really be a win for them. I would say. So they do have that tough stretch though. 13 through 17, not quite as tough as what Philly's going to be facing, but a tough stretch nonetheless. So, um, 
And then I think before the bye, it's a pretty balanced schedule. You know, you got tough games at the Niners, at the Chargers, you know, versus the Jets. I think very winnable games versus the Patriots, at the Cardinals, at the Giants. Mm-hmm. Um, so they should be sitting at, hopefully, if you're if you're a Cowboy fan, you're sitting at like four and two going in the bye week. You got a nice like four and one stretch coming out of the bye week. You know, you're kind of like sitting around eight and three going into week 13. And, you know, then you can go three and three down the stretch there yeah. and feel good about coming out of this thing 11 and six. I think that's about right for them. Obviously, you do too. Yeah, yeah. Well, you agreed on this one as well. And so, I mean, I think for them, it's just how well can they dial in all the stuff that they got. I mean, I think Pollard got hurt towards the end of the year. Obviously, they lost Zeke. We can see what they do with Deuce Vaughn back there. Because mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think they use the running back position as much as they do. It's like a receiver like that. So we'll see. But I guess my question for you is going to be, how do you think the office will look with the loss of Zeke and then the addition of Brian Schottenheimer being the OC? Well, I think in terms of Zeke, they do lose a little bit of attitude to their offense. I mean, I think that was one thing that um, they, they loved Zeke back there on some of those short yardage plays where he just pound that thing up in there. Um, and he seemed to always get those first downs. So I do think you lose a little bit of attitude with losing Zeke. Kellen Moore was, I think, more innovative in some of the stuff he wanted to do. Um, and I would say that there were times where it felt like he and Mike McCarthy maybe disagreed on the direction of how they wanted to do things. I think Mike McCarthy is a little bit more old school, wants to run the football, wants to do things that he knows have, have worked for him in the past. And Kellen Moore, yeah. I think, was a wanting to throw the ball a little bit more. And I don't know that either one is completely right. I think <laughs> that team is really balanced across the board offensively. And so I think you, you really want to strike that balance. But one of the things the Cowboys really struggled with when I looked at their offense last year, they struggled to put together and maintain drives. Their average mm. time of possession was only two minutes and 35 seconds. That was 27th in the league. Um, now they scored plenty of points. That's the funny part. So they were like a quick strike offense, but if they didn't score on a big play, they struggled to score like on a drive. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they were averaging a little under six plays per possession and 31 yards. So it was like, they were going to go get, you know, two first downs and then maybe punt on average. So, or they were going to, you know, obviously explode for the big play. So they also threw 18 picks last year, which was 30th in the league. Obviously, you missed Dak for a portion of the season and all that. But, um, yeah, they uh, Dak Dak struggled in in the games he played. He threw way too many picks, Um, something that they're definitely going to have to try and clean up. So while they produce these explosive plays, they got to be better at maintaining drives, and they got to be better at not turning the ball over. So – We'll see. Just uh, this is a game last year. They played the Texans, a game that was way too close that they struggled to win, right? And so when you're looking at that, you're like, hey, you know what? Um, if we want to be a championship contender, we have to be able to maintain drives, and we have to be able to take a team like the Texans and blow them out. And really, what they struggled to do, and why they didn't just blow this team out, was because they were struggling to maintain drives. Mm. So 
you look at you know the game here. Here's a first and ten. They're gonna run the football with Zeke. They get stuffed, right? Yeah. So first and ten becomes second and long. Or I'm sorry, this is actually uh, Tony Pollard, by the way. Try to run a little um, split zone coming back. Just doesn't. They just don't get any push up front. So now we got second down. Run the football again. A little stretch. Can't get that going either. Don't get any push up front. So now we're in third and long, right? See it from the behind angle. Why are we not getting that push up here? Oof, got penetration. Our center got smoked right away. <laughs> got to gotta be better. Be a dish. Now we got third and long. Right, Zeke's going to try and make a throw. It's going to get tackled short, though. And so now we're punting. And that's the kind of drive that the, the Cowboys can't afford. They can't afford these, like, three and out. You know, you get three three plays, you only gain seven yards, and now you're punting. Those are the kind of drives they got to eliminate. They got to be able to maintain. They got to be able to get that first down. Okay, here's another drive. Starts first and ten. They try and run the ball. Zeke, they get nothing. They got to be able to run the football better. I mean, that's clear from these three plays. You know, it's like, all right, Houston was wanting two games last year, three games last year, whatever it was. Yeah. You got to be able to run the football on that team. And maintain drives. All right, now we got second and long. Get a little short motion, a little play action. We're going to throw a screen. Oh, my gosh, I almost throw a pick. Come on, Dak. Right? This play oh, took way too long to develop. I mean, that's just that's going to be what it is. Two fakes. Uh, throw the screen. They weren't fooled. Zach's, or Zeke's on the ground. If I'm not mistaken, that right tackle might not even know it was screen. He... He he just well, he just started kicking back while his guard crossed his face. <laughs> well, I think what he was trying to do was influence that guy up the field, uh, right? So on screen, you kind of influence, get that guy up the field, and then bypass him. The guy just did. They just did a much a really good job of not taking the bait. Well. Yeah. So now you get third and long, again. Dak's gonna try and step up, step up. Can I make a play? I don't have it. Check down. Oh, that's We're off the field. Yeah. Right. So again, there's many different reasons and many plenty of blame to go around for why these drives are happening. It's the offensive line. It's some of the play calling. It's a little bit of like, oh, Dak, put that on that guy and let him go get more yards. Right. I mean, it's all mm-hmm. of those guys. Here we go. Here's another drive. First and 10. We run the football. Like there's a little bit Probably of yards. predict predictability in this too. Now you're, you're kind of seeing it now. Of course, I'm highlighting the drives where they, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they, they did poorly and their drive stalled and all that. So, you know, kind of cherry picking. Once again, I told, told everyone before, I'm not hiding the fact that, yes, I cherry pick some of the stuff to, to fit the narrative, but I'm just telling you to trust that I'm also doing, oh no, messed that up. Trust that I'm also <laughs> doing the, uh, the work here that this is representative of a larger overall narrative. I'm not going to make us go through and watch this whole set of clips again, but just, you get the point that, they're struggling. There's a, that next play after the Zeke run, Dak throws a pick, trying to fit a ball into a window. So, wow. again, there's plenty of – if you're doing the blame pie, I don't think it's like, oh, it's all Kellen Moore. Now that Kellen Moore is gone, <laughs> we'll be so much better. I don't yeah. think that's it. Nor do I think it's, oh, Dak just throws too many picks. Like, dude, there's, there's a slice of humble pie to go around for everyone, and they yeah. all need to be better, including Mike McCarthy, the head coach, who's now going to be taking that over the play true. calling. He's got to be better too. 
right? They got to be able to maintain drives. They got to be able to run the football. They got to be able to avoid those careless turnovers. Like all that stuff is real. If they're going to be a legitimate threat in the NFC, that offense has to be better and not just scoring points on explosive plays, but being able to maintain a drive. Cause that's important for when you have a lead, Consistency. right? You're winning by, you're winning by a touchdown in the fourth quarter. And we got to, we want to run six minutes off the clock while scoring. Right. Yeah. So, um, I think that's important for them. I think obviously this is a big year for Dak who needs to rebound. There's, and I think for good reason, there's a lot of discourse about him in terms of whether or not he's a top 10 guy or he's not, and whether or not he's an elite quarterback or he's not, right? He's one of those classic sort of in-betweeners. Yeah. Um, from a talent perspective, certainly he has all of it, but I can't have a guy who's throwing north of 10 picks, of picks pretty consistently and say that that guy is like one of the best quarterbacks in the league until he's not doing that, you know? Yeah. Um, it's going to be tough. So they're, you know, for them to maintain drives and, and to, to keep rolling, Dak's going to have to be better too. So. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, and the biggest thing with them is everyone's always like, well, they're, they're supposed to be these hot dogs and they get to the playoffs and then, you know, where'd they go? They tuck that tail and not who we thought they were from the season, you know? So. Or in the words of the late Denny Green. They are who we thought they were. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> um, but shout before out we him. close out, we got that banger of the week coming from you this week. So what you got for us? So I'm using my banger of the week this week to uh, shout out a legend. R.I.P. Tina Turner. Oh. And old school banger from her. What's love got to do with it? There you go. It's anti- it still goes. It still hits. Um, I was on Apple Music the other day, just like browsing, uh-huh. like what's what's top. She was in the top twenty. Oh, that song specifically okay. was in the top yeah, twenty yeah. In, a, in America, just because I think yeah. it's being played so R. much R. right R. now to to honor her. R.I.P. to a legend, absolute legend, bro, absolute legend, super talented. I'm not many like her. And that song, I listened to it. Because I was like, oh, it's up there. Yeah, that's a good song. And I listened to it, and I was like, yeah, this song goes, dude. This song is still really good. It's a timeless (laughs) classic. So uh, if you've never heard it, shame on you. Go listen to it. If you've heard it, take it. Like You probably probably haven't listened to it in a while. You know, it's not Uh like a song that you're, like, playing in the car all the time. Yeah, yeah. But, like, definitely go give it a listen again because it's a a revisitable (laughs) classic for sure. So shout out to uh, Tina Turner. I was going to say before you got it rolling, I was going to say, did it come from your new uh, streaming platform being Max and not HBO anymore? Yeah. I don't know, I don't know if you it's had to do that still... update. I did it yeah. on, my, on my TV. Honestly, like, oh, nothing right. changed. It just forced yeah, me no, to update my, my app. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, cool. I mean, I get it. They're like rebranding because it's not just yeah, HBO yeah. stuff and all that. I, I get they got to do it, but it was just like, okay, this is weird. Um, but yeah. If you stuck with us this long today, we appreciate you. That's Hope that you're learning good. something. And um, next week, who we got next week, Joe? What division are we looking at? We're looking at the AFC South. Ooh, so, Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I'm excited yeah. for that. Um, so we'll be back next week, AFC South. Um, Joe, What's up? if people want to be tuned into what we got going, do we have, we have the, uh, the pod up yet? Yeah, yeah. So go ahead and like, comment, subscribe. You know, we we published all our uh, 
category last week. I uh, rolled out the the episode from last week. It's live. Anyone can watch it. We no longer have the select crew. Everyone go and watch. As I said, subscribe so you could get that notification saying that tell it's up friends. there. Yeah, that too. Tell a friend to tell a friend. No doubt. And then for anyone who's new, you could go back and watch anything we've done in the past. It's got, uh, what, like three, four months now, maybe. We're coming up on four months worth of content. So, yeah, plenty of stuff to go back and watch. You could see what Expert we started analysis. doing towards the end of the year. Yeah, exactly. Super From- Bowl. Great episode, <laughs> draft stuff. You can go yeah. go back and watch. Uh, you know what we think of the player, your favorite team drafted. You know all that good exactly. stuff. It's all there, and uh, we promise you'll be guaranteed or your money back. <laughs> and yeah, we're handing out subscriptions. You know those cost us a pretty penny. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, of course you. Th- uh, drop drop some stuff in the comments you know let us know what you want to see besides like what we're talking about your team coming up soon and whatnot you know what do you want to hear from us that that, yeah. that could help us out tell us help if you, you think out. we suck tell us yeah no sure. publicity is bad publicity we'll take it off. also true yeah but more importantly one of our favorite parts of the show our guy ray ray taking us out Section in the stands going crazy. Everybody turning up, we putting on a show. Boomers, we be popping in the people, yeah, they love. 951 be the city, never change. We the Chaparral Boomers, everybody know their name. We ain't here to make friends, we gon' let them see. Get your chain snatched like a key crab tree. Squad for lagoons, be ready to bring the pain. Show them how we do, we about to let it bang. About to go and get it, kill them with the swag. Tryna act tough, they be looking, we just laugh. See them getting mad. That's right. Friday night lights, we turn up tonight. In the best spot, if you on the other side. Time to let it bang, make them feel that boomer pride. Let it bang, let it bang, let it bang, yeah. Let it bang, let it bang. Show them how boomer do it. Let it bang, let it bang, yeah. Turn me up, let it bang, let it bang, let it bang, let it bang. Put on for the city, that's really all that we do. Nothing to lose and a whole lot to prove. On the field late and I'm in the gym early. Over time, my grind, I can see him worry. The pads on, we about to bring the boom, the legion of doom, everybody better make room, you can see the fuse from the fire, product of the pain and the hunger and desire, talking like you want it, man, I hope you ain't lying, bottom line, we the boomers, but we feeling like some lions, dropping off heat at your feet every week, everybody wanna be a beast to the sign of each, oh, we gon' see, if you really bought it, thinking you can handle me, boy, I really doubt it, putting in work, bitch, steady with the grind, you ain't taking nothing, play it, this is all mine. Ah!
Throw your pumas up, we gon' get it, that's right. Friday night lights, we turn up tonight. In the best spot, if you on the other side. Time to let it bang, make them feel that puma pride. Let it bang, let it bang, let it bang, yeah. Let it bang, let it bang, show them how puma do it. Let it bang, let it bang, yeah. Turn me up, let it bang, let it bang, let it bang, let it bang. Let it blood, sweat, tears, time getting near. I've been saying that for so long, now it's here. Come through the whole ten checking everybody. We just put them in the dirt, man. Treat it like a hobby. Oops, I mean happy. Else can't have it. We ain't standing around waiting for nothing. We grab it. I remember putting in work all alone. Now my team with me and we all in the zone. Never giving nothing, so you better understand. We don't care about your plan. This is Puma Pride Land. Get into the huddle. Tell the fellas, turn it up. Fourth quarter coming, throw them double deuces up. Let them know what's up, man. The crowd never dying. Refi keep holding me, man. Quit crying. Put your boomers up. Show them Puma Pride. Friday night lights when the boomers come alive. I throw your boomers up. We gon' get it. That's right. Friday night lights. We turn up tonight. In the best spot if you on the other side. Time to let it bang. Make them feel that Puma Pride. Let it bang. Let it bang. Let it bang. Yeah. Let it bang. Let it bang. Show them how Puma do it. Let it bang. Let it bang. Yeah. Let it back, 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 let it back.